Let me say good morning again. My name is Christy, and I serve here as a lead pastor at CFM. I do apologize for my voice. It's, uh, it's inevitable that I couldn't escape the cold that is going around, particularly as uh, midweek we've been spending some time as pastors together with other pastors, and it's uh, almost like being in uh, primary school. The germs just get, just get shared. So there you go. Uh, this morning, I wanted to pause our preaching series. A um, couple of reasons. One, probably the most obvious one. Uh, the passage we were going to look at was emotionally a little bit inappropriate to look at this morning in the view of current events in Israel. Um, if you look at uh, chapter 4, you probably will understand why. We will probably uh, look at that at some other time. Uh, It's a good message, and uh, I want to bring it to us, but just not today. And also I wanted to address maybe a current question that I've heard quite a lot of people ask. Uh, One of the interesting things about the world events over the last uh, week or so, obviously it stirred up very powerful emotions, a lot of political discussions, for, for some people, it's a lot of historical education in terms of understanding what is happening. But probably more importantly, it also brings spiritual questions. And one of the questions that I have heard asked by quite a lot of people is this one. Is this the end of the world? It's probably a justified question, particularly from Christians who... Uh, whether they have a very sharp grasp on uh, prophecy in the Bible uh, or whether they don't, there's almost an intuitive sense in which whenever something significant is happening in Israel, it has implications with regards to the prophecy in Scripture. And for those who are not interested at all in what the Bible has to say about history, Um, they just look with fear at what is happening in our world, and therefore they ask the question, is this the end of the world? Are we on the brink of nuclear war? And really, I think it's appropriate this morning that perhaps we try to answer this question. And um, you see, the Bible has prophecy in it, which is the sense in which The Bible foretells future events, and we could all agree on that. But when it comes to interpreting the prophecy in the Bible, people have different views. And it's very difficult to say who has it right and who has it wrong, simply because the type of literature prophecy in the Bible is, um, it's a little bit mystical, it's full of imagery, it's a little bit complicated, and it gives room, and it allows room, I would say, for different interpretation in terms of what this could mean with regards to history and the end of the world. And I think what we need to do is probably keep in tension two things. One is biblical prophecy. There are certain things that are written in the Bible that are very helpful for us to track on what is happening. The other one is a sense of mystery. And I think we do well to kind of move forward with these two held intention. But still I want to answer the question, is this the end of the world? But I want to twist it in a different way, and this is why I want to make it personal so that it isn't just a sense of, oh, well, this is a question somebody asked out there, but it's more of a question about me and you 
And I want to ask the question, are you ready for the end of the world or for Jesus' return? Because that's a question every single one of us will have to answer if we are caring about our soul and about our eternal destiny. And to do that, to try to answer that question, I want to give us some helpful questions myself. Often I'm getting asked to do a marriage ceremony for people. And what we do, we tend to sit down and we tend to have a conversation. And as part of that conversation, I tend to ask questions. Questions that would be very helpful. So one of the questions I would ask, have you got a date that you would like the wedding to take place on? Have you got any ideas about the service? Have they got ideas? Of course they have. A lot of ideas. Have you asked other people if they can attend, particularly your close relatives? Have you got a registrar? Have you got rings? Loads of questions are asked. And they're not mean questions. They're not intrusive questions. And it's, it, they aren't questions that I ask because I'm a particularly nosy person. They're questions that I ask in order to make sure that actually that service goes as smooth as it possibly can. Because it's a stressful time, it's an exciting time, and the last thing you want is for something to go wrong in a wedding ceremony. And in the same way, I want to draw from Jesus himself. I I, I like to do that. I, I always like to go back when it comes to end times and ask Jesus, what did you tell us? What did you ask us? What hints did you give to us that would help us to prepare for the end times? And I want us to spend some time in Matthew chapter 25 uh, this morning and ask three simple questions based on what I see here. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking, and in chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about end times and about his return. And he is using in chapter 25 three parables. Now, parables are simple stories that Jesus tells. Most of you, if you've grown up in church, you would remember some of the parables from your time in Sunday school. They can be taught in Sunday school. They're that simple. But actually, they're very subversive. And also, they ask a spiritual question of us. They're not just stories that Jesus tells for the sake of entertaining us. But Jesus tells those stories with a pointed aim to make us think about our own spiritual state. You will probably recognize most of them. And at the back of that, I think we ask some questions that would be helpful. Let's read the first one. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, if you've got a Bible, it would probably help to to track with me. Just open it up. Matthew 25 from verse 1. At that time, that's the end times, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. 
Instead, you go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. We replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The beautiful thing about the parables is you don't dissect them. There's two ways of kind of looking at things. We, as Western Europeans, are very accustomed to the Greek thinking. And the Greek thinking would look at a text and would dissect every single detail and try to extract meaning out of it. The Jewish mindset was much more pointed in that there is a, a, a core truth to the story. You don't have to dissect every detail. You just take the core truth of the story. And the core truth of the story is that somehow there were two groups of people of virgins who were invited to the wedding and they were both invited and yet because of the lack of preparation five of them missed out on being part of that so the question i want to ask at at the back of this particular one is, is simply this are you passionate are you passionate see we've got to remember and this is really important is jesus's hint For those who believe in him, the end of the world, the return of Christ, however you want to explain it, is a joyous event. It's a wedding feast. We've got to take that in because we look so miserable at times. Seriously, we've got to take that in. If you're truly a Christian, you better embrace this truth. This is our reality. It is a wedding feast. It is not something we should be afraid of. Nervous, scared, but it should be something that we should be anticipating and being really excited about. Unfortunately, so many of us at times are so tied up to the pleasures and the false joys of this earth that we fail to see that there's something better awaiting for us in heaven. So Jesus is saying there are two choices you can make. You can be prepared like the five virgins who had the extra oil, or you can be careless. Just don't think about it. Just ignore it and actually miss out on the opportunity. And the truth is that both groups of virgins experienced the same thing. They were both invited. They both were frustrated by the delay. They both felt tired. They both fell asleep. But when the bridegroom came, One of them was prepared, one group was prepared with extra oil. Oil in scripture is the symbol of God's anointing or God's presence. And this is why I'm asking that question for me and you this morning. As we are facing that question, is this the end of the world? Am I asking the question, have you still got oil in abundance? Do you still have God's presence and anointing in your life in abundance? Or is it missing? You see, you can become a follower of Christ and you can start really excited and you're ready to go to wherever God sends you and you're easily convicted of all the sins that you have in your life. You don't make excuses. You don't blame other people. And in a bizarre twist, somehow for some people, it goes down afterwards. 
instead of going up, so to speak, in terms of loving God more, serving God more, being more passionate for him. Apathy sets in. I mean, why, why is it that we, uh, we live in a so-called Christian nation, and yet it's so heartbreaking when we take the spiritual temperature of our nation? And I would say probably it is because part of our nation that call themselves Christians are simply the five virgins who haven't got enough oil in their lamb. Again, going through Birmingham, it's a little bit sobering, seeing the amount of churches that have been turned into mosques. Somebody in those kind of churches must have not had enough oil and have let their love for Jesus grow cold. And as a result of it, the church disappeared, it got put on the market, and it got bought up as just simply another property. And that's just the building. What about the people? And this is why, faced with this question, if Jesus is coming back, I'm asking myself, and I'm asking you as well, are we filled with apathy or anticipation? Do you wake up in the morning, and it's kind of, life with Christ is a little bit, uh, or do you wake up in the morning and you think, this is amazing, one day closer to Jesus' return. And sadly, It is only those of you who are over a certain age that say amen. People my age don't say amen because we've got our jobs and we've got our kids and we've got our hobbies and we've got all the stuff that we want and need to do. And I wonder whether sometimes we get our priorities twisted and inverted. We get distracted by the world and our priorities get mixed up. Let's not have a sense of spiritual neglect. I think this is a wake-up call for us as the followers of Jesus. It's almost like mom used to tell me in the olden days in the villages, whenever the, the, there was a danger, the, um, it, it's a particular person in the church who, who's got the responsibility of uh, ringing the bell. And whenever the bell was rung in a rural area, you knew that there was something happening, either a big storm coming on or something was, was happening. And I, I believe prophetically that maybe this is just another, another opportunity where the Spirit of God is ringing a bell to the church of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, are you ready? Are you awake? Are you passionate? Are you fired up? Or are you in a state of apathy? Because this is a time to be spiritually awake be prepared. And maybe it's just an opportunity. I don't know really where we are, each one of us. But maybe it's that opportunity to draw near to the world and have that spiritual reboot where we're actually looking at our relationship with the Lord Jesus, looking at our affection to him and, and almost you know, putting it in balance with the rest of the stuff. I always say I can determine how, how we're doing, I can do a diagnosis of our spirituality by examining two things in our lives. And don't be afraid, I won't do it to you because I can't. But I could sit down with you. If, you're, if, if I was to say to you, let's pick Mark because he's safe, he's my friend. So let's pick Mark. So I, I'll sit down with Mark and Mark would say, hey, Christy. And I'm having this conversation so very often. I'm kind of really struck, not with Mark in particular. He's an example. I'm really struggling. You know, I want to love Jesus more. I want to follow him more. I want to be in a different place. And then I sit down with him. And I would, I would look at two markers. How do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? 
And how do you spend your time and how you spend your money? Well, tell me where your affections lie. You know, give me access to your Netflix subscription. Let me see how, time, how much time you spend on that. And for those of you who don't have Netflix, I'm sure there's a non-Netflix alternative of wasting time for people who are not on Netflix. I'm sure there are. But that's what I'm saying. is Let's examine our hearts and say, do we truly love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength? Because this is a time. It's a wake-up call. It's that bell ringing so that we don't end up with disappointment in our life. Jesus tells the next story. It's called the parable of the talents. And then he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents? See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said. I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with a banker so that even when I returned, I would receive back an interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here is a second question. Are you serving? This is a parable about servanthood. Each one of the three were entrusted something, and that's the truth. Everyone has gifts from God. Now, God isn't a socialist, so, famous quote, so he doesn't give the exact amount of talents to everyone. Some people have more, some people have less, but that's not the point. The point is that everyone has something. And they all had a choice of what to do. And two of them made sure that they worked with what God had given them in order to bring fruit. The other one was just lazy. And Jesus is rebuking the lazy person. And that's again the question that comes to us as we're thinking about Jesus' return. Are you, am I, serving? Because every single one of us, just like it says in the parable, the Apostle Paul builds on this when he talks about the gifts that God gives, every single one of us is gifted with at least one gift. 
And the purpose of that gift is not to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and boost our identity, but the purpose of that gift is to serve God and bless other people. And Jesus is asking that question, are you serving? A fruitful life is praised. A fruitless life is criticized. And the question for us this morning, for me and you, is how much do we do with what God has given to us in terms of serving him and blessing others? And again, it comes back to the priorities. Again, it comes back to who rules our agenda. Is it us, our pleasures, our program, our priorities? Or is something about God's kingdom that actually takes priority in our life on how we spend our time, spend our money, spend our emotions, spend our resources, open up our homes. Everything is connected to that, about having a servant-hearted attitude. And again, that's a good question to ask ourselves this morning. Are you passionate? Are you serving? And here is the third question. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as, shepherd, as, a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take up your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison? And go and visit you, the king will reply. I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you are cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do, or one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they would go away to eternal punishment for the righteous to the eternal life. And here's a third question. Are you loving? Really what Jesus is telling in this parable is an invitation to realize that we need to live our lives in a way that loves other people practically, sacrificially. There are two categories of people with two choices, with two different lifestyles, with two different attitudes in life. Some choose to see those in need around them, and some choose to just ignore them. 
And what I like about Jesus' language, it's deeply practical. It's not theoretical. Jesus doesn't say just simply those you love. He talks about feeding, giving drink, giving clothes, caring for those who are sick, going into prisons. It's very difficult to evade that. It's not one of the, well, I love people, you know, in my heart. Whenever there's a sort of charity initiative on Facebook, I give them a like. I'm a good person. It's about practically caring and loving for people. Very practical categories. And the thing that's really interesting is that both groups are surprised. The group who did well in terms of practically loving other people is surprised because they didn't realize, you know, they did anything special. And equally, the other group that didn't do it, they were surprised at the reaction. Why is that? Because Jesus identifies himself with those in need to be loved. And he says it all the time. When you did it, it was me. When you didn't do it, it was me. And the invitation that comes from Jesus is to actually have a, an examination of our own life and think, how do we live? Are we loving people, practically loving people, not theoretically, but practically loving people, being ready to bless others? Three very simple questions in the face of Jesus' return. Are you passionate? Are you serving? Are you loving? What do we do with this? Here are some of the suggestions I can bring to us this morning. First and foremost, <laughs> I must say this as strongly as I possibly can. In order to be prepared for Jesus' return and the end of the world, you need to become a Christian. You need to become a follower of Christ. You need to become a disciple of Jesus. I remember reading uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, a really interesting thing that was uh, written by a man called Sam Shoemaker. And Sam Shoemaker was a minister, and he was involved right at the very beginning of the, uh, the movement Alcoholics Anonymous in that work. He was very, very passionate to see men and women who would be helped by God's power to deal with the issue of alcohol. And he wrote something that stuck with me. And it's a very pictorial thing that I think it helps us to maybe ask ourselves a question this morning. If you're here and you're not sure you're a Christian, this is a really good way to kind of understand this. This is what he said. It was in a, in a, in a speech he gave in 1955 at the 20th anniversary of Alcoholics Anonymous founding. He says this, You know what a lot of religious people are like? They're like a lot of people sitting around a, a railroad station thinking that they're on a train. Everybody's talking about traveling. And you hear the names of the stations, and you have got the tickets, and the smell of baggages around you, and a great deal of stir. And if you sit long enough there, you almost think you're on a train, but you're not. You only start to get converted. That, that's his language that he uses about becoming a Christian. You only get to get converted at the point where you get on the train and get pulled out of the station. And you, don't, you, and you do get pulled out. You do not walk out. And my fear is that sometimes we can be in church and be just like that. 
You can be here, come every Sunday, sit through the songs, sing the songs, listen to the sermon. But actually, you've never ever taken that step to get on the train to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for bringing freedom, encouragement, strength, and very importantly, an assurance of eternity. It's the only reason I can be positive about death and the end of the world is because of Jesus. Because there was a day in 1982, in the summer of 92, no, 82, when I got on that train and I gave my life to Jesus. And I really want to encourage you, if you're like that, if, you, if, if I was to ask you the question, when did you become a Christian? And you would say, I don't really know. Maybe you need to have that certainty. And I'd love to talk to you. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service. And it's the first thing we can do to prepare ourselves for Jesus' return or for the end of the world. Become a follower of Jesus. The second thing is just be discerning. You know, we live in times, and Jesus speaks a lot, and you need to read and discuss in your connect groups in, in Matthew 24. There are so many false teachings that are going around. Don't be distracted. You know, people are going, Jesus is here, Jesus is there. Don't be distracted. Stick with the Bible and be discerning in that. Be encouraged. It is a wedding feast. Honestly, seriously, it's depressing. If we as the followers of Jesus are filled with gloom and doom and look like we're just drinking vinegar all the time, well, what hope is there for us to share a good news in the face of the world that is despairing? So we need to have a recalibration of that. It's a wedding feast that awaits us. So we need to be excited about that. Be encouraged. Be passionate. Don't be half-hearted. Don't let your oil run down. Live in the anointing and the presence of God and press in and push for that. Don't settle for spiritual mediocrity. Be a loving servant. Just like Jesus is saying about the talents, God's given you talents, at least one, maybe more, I don't know. And God, what God is calling the two go hand in hand is loving people and serving God go hand in hand. Just look at opportunities in your own life with your friends, with your neighbors, with people in your local community, in your workplace. If you're stuck and you don't know where to serve practically, if you've got time and if you've got a willingness to serve, come and talk to Ian and I. And we've got plenty of stuff you can serve very practically. The church always needs, through the ministries of the church, not to... You know, entertain the church, but to bless the people that we are in contact with, we've got plenty of opportunities, so don't hesitate to ask. Well, let's live as loving servants. And last but not least, be missional. It's kind of connected to the wedding, you know. We, we, in a world that is despairing, we've got a message that is called good news the good news of Jesus. Well, let's think about opportunities that God can give us to share that. And when you've got that conversation with a cashier uh, at wherever you shop, and they say, oh, it feels like it's the end of the world, you know, well, what about thinking ahead and preparing yourself for a conversation where you could say something, maybe in 30 seconds, because you're not going to have three hours to do that, but maybe you can say something or leave something with them that's going to make them think. And maybe next time you see them, who knows where that conversation's going to go. But let's live with a sense of, do you know what? It looks like the clock's ticking. And there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus yet. And we do. And we've got a message. We are the hungry people that found bread. And we can give it along to others who are needed. Let's pray together.
Jesus said. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Mark this, Paul is saying. There will be terrible times in the last days. People would be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then he reminds the Titus, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, let our hearts be filled with the truth that leads to hope, that you are coming back, that your return is a glorious restoration you will bring about that place where there be no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain. Help us to live in the light of that return every single day of our lives. Amen. Let's stand together.